Bibles, be finding the uh, book of 1 John, and uh, we'll see what the Lord's got for us here tonight, 1 John, and um, we'll be in chapter number 2 tonight, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 tonight, and last Sunday evening I began preaching a mini-series on the purpose behind uh, the writing of 1 John. And uh, this is all in preparation of preaching a larger series going through the book of 1 John verse by verse. And and uh, I look forward to doing that as the Lord leads, but this is kind of an overview. And uh, 1 John, we have four verses in this book that tells us why this wonderful letter was written. And last week I preached on the first verse or the first purpose of the book of John, 1 John. And tonight we'll get the second one, Lord willing. But uh, just to review, let's take a look at these four verses and four purposes real quick. And uh, if you will, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God tonight. And uh, we'll see what these verses are and just uh, go from there. The very first purpose that we are given for the writing of the epistle of 1 John is found in verse number 1 or chapter number 1, verse number 4, where the Bible says, And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. And of course, last Sunday evening, that's what we preached on. We preached on the subject of joy. And uh, so uh, the second purpose, which is where we'll be at tonight, is found in chapter number 2, verse number 1. Look at it with me. The Bible says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now the third reason is found in chapter number 2, verse number 26, where the Bible says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And I explained last Sunday night how that is referring to uh, false prophets, the deception that is running rampant in our world today. And then the fourth reason is found in chapter number 5, verse number 13, where the Bible tells us, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now last week I already mentioned... Uh, that we looked at 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 4, and the thought of joy in the believer's life. And tonight we're going to look at chapter number 2, verse number 1, and see what we can learn from it. And to begin, let's look here again. My little children, chapter number 2, verse number 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thank you for standing tonight. You can be seated. And uh, we're going to, to start out with, I, I think it's important to understand who John is writing to. Notice what it says in this verse. He starts out by saying, my little children, my little children. That's who this is addressed to. So we already know he's writing to believers. He's saying, I don't want you to sin, but if you do, we have an advocate. That's what chapter number 2, verse number 1 is all about. And you know, that should be our attitude as well. If we sin, thank God we have an advocate. 
But the phrase is, if we sin. You know, there's two groups. We've got a little problem, though, in our world today, or the world of Christianity. We've got two groups of extremes when it comes to this thought. All right? One group, and I mentioned this last week, says, sin all you want. After all, we have 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just go out and do whatever you want. He'll forgive you for it. Well, I mentioned this type of person last Sunday night and how there are actual people that believe it's okay. I'll live it up. I'll sin all I want. I know it's wrong, but God will forgive me and that's all that matters. I've had people tell me that before. Well, it doesn't matter what I do. God's going to forgive me. Well, that's one group of people. But now, uh, let me show you this. There's another group of people that's the exact opposite of that. And so you've got one extreme, and then you've got the opposite extreme. And they say they don't sin. They don't sin at all. Or they can't sin. And let me be perfectly clear. They get that from 1 John 3. Verse number 9, the Bible says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Well, how do you figure that one out, preacher? Well, I'm going to show you. A careful reading of that verse and some context of that verse will refute the belief that one does not or cannot sin. As a matter of fact, you got your Bibles there. Look at the verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, colon, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. What is this talking about? Just look at the colon. The colon tells us that the phrase, and he cannot sin because he is born of God, points back to the seed that remains in him. The seed can't sin. Isn't that interesting? You see, there's two natures living within the Christian. When we sin, the flesh is sinning, not the seed of the Holy Spirit within us. Just listen to Romans 7. I preached out of Romans 7 several weeks ago. But listen to this. In Romans 7, chapter 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 17 and on, it says, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. <laughs> Listen to me right here, y'all. It's not that we are sinless. It's that we sin less. That's the Bible. And so... And so this is, this is all talking. Uh, I mean, just, just, hey, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. 
And so when you've got somebody that says something, they take John, uh, 1 John uh, 3, 9, which I think it's amazing because you can refute a statement like, I don't sin at all and I cannot sin. Uh, you can take that one verse and tell what it's talking about. It's talking about the seed. And so that seed that the Holy Spirit has put within us, it is the Spirit of God. And no, it cannot sin. What is sinning, though, is this body of flesh that has not been saved. Did y'all catch that? The flesh is not saved. You've got two wars. You've got two members within your being that is constantly warring together. That is what Paul is writing about back in Romans 7. And we need to understand those things. You see how easy it is to, be, to, to, to get a, a false belief and how people do it. But if you just pay attention, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So listen to me right here. It's not, like I said, it's not that we are sinless, but it's that we sin less. It's not that we go out and do anything and everything that we want to do. It's that we sin less. Because now we've been enlightened to what sin is and what it does to us and what it did to our precious Savior. And that ought to matter to us. And so, let me get some facts out of the way real quick from the Word of God. The Christian can commit sin. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Let me tell you something. <laughs> if you ever want to know whether you're right or wrong, you take a person that takes 1 John 3.9 and says, Well, I'm perfect and I don't sin anymore. Well, if you've, got to, if you've got to take a marker and cross out a bunch of verses that say that you do, then you're probably not right. And it's not that the Bible is wrong, it's that you're not reading it properly. We need to remember those things. 1 John 1.10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. So we see that the Christian can commit sin, but the Christian should confess sin. I already mentioned that. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me give you another one. The Christian is never to cover sin. Proverbs chapter 28, 13 says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know what happens when you try to cover up your sin? It festers. It brings about guilt. It will eat you alive. Yeah. Unconfessed sin. Covering sin. Hey, covering sin is like lifting up a, it's like lifting up a rug and, and just... Just sweeping all the dust and the dirt underneath the rug. You're not getting rid of anything. You're making it worse because you know what ends up happening? You, uh, you, you lift up that rug too many times and you'll start seeing when you first did it, you might not notice it. Second time you do it, you might not notice it. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, tenth time you've done it, you got a big old hump underneath that rug now. Everybody can see it. It's what the Bible says. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Here's another fact. The Christian can conquer sin. 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship 
<clears throat> with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now our text tonight says this, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now notice that word advocate. This word is rendered lawyer in our English. It means literally one called alongside. And when one is called in court, he takes an advocate with him. He takes a lawyer with him to stand by his side and plead his case. Now, John was not a perfectionist, but he was a realist. God's people do fall into sin. God's people do, uh, they do stray, they do stumble, they do fall. Yes. There are times that we all need to be picked up and cleaned up and put back on the way. And that encourages me to know that when we sin, we're not condemned, we have an advocate. We have an advocate in our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have an advocate in heaven in the person of Jesus Christ the Son. Warren Wiersbe said it like this, We have fellowship with the Father through the Son, and the Father has fellowship with us through the Spirit. Jesus is our advocate in heaven, and He is our advocate in our heart. Lehman Strauss wrote this, he said, His present work in our behalf continues as real as was His death in our behalf. The righteous one having suffered for the unrighteous, the Father is now satisfied. We owe all to our blessed substitute and advocate, even our restoration to fellowship with the Father after we have sinned. Amen. I thank God tonight we've got a representative with the Father. The subject tonight is sin. The Bible tells us here the purpose, the second purpose of the writing of the book of 1 John is that we sin not. But if we do, if we happen to, we've got an advocate. And so if we sin and when we do sin, because honey, you're going to, we can do something about it. So from here, I want to give you some things that sin will do in your life. Number one, sin will keep your prayers from being answered. In Psalm 66, 18, the Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's pretty plain and simple, isn't it? That word iniquity, it's sin. You got something wrong in your heart? You've done something wrong? It's eating away at you? You're trying to cover it up? Guess what? God will not hear you while, you're, while you have sin in your life. Sin separates and hides God's face from us. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Hallelujah! Neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Hallelujah! That's shouting grounds, ain't it? But, verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. So sin will keep your prayers from being answered. Also, sin, and this goes back to last Sunday night's message, sin will keep you from having joy as a Christian. 
I mentioned that last week, and I won't go all back into the, uh, the details, but in Psalm 51, 12, we went there last Sunday night. The Bible says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. And uh, so listen, last Sunday evening, we talked a lot about that, but David had let sin rob his joy, the joy of God's salvation. What had happened to him? Why was he in that position? He had sinned. By the way, by the way, don't take this the wrong way, but by the way, remember when you go out here and you think and you've done something and you feel plumb horrible about it and the devil gets up on your shoulder, likes to tell you you're not a Christian and you ain't even saved and all this, just remember, remember Psalm 51 and what David was coming back from. Yeah. Committing the sin of adultery. Not only adultery, he lusted after a woman. He, could have, he committed adultery with that woman. There's enough there too to even say that he probably more than likely raped her. So there's your third. She got, he, he got her husband drunk to try to trick him. When that didn't work, he sent him on the front lines of the battle and killed him. And prophet Nathan, he showed up there and he told David a story. And David, oh, he got all sideways and, 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 and told, told the prophet Nathan what he was going to do with that man. And the prophet Nathan looked at him, pointed his finger at him and said, You are the man, David. This is what you've done. What I say all of that is just to say that one thing in the Bible that is obvious, and that is failure is never final. It wasn't final in David's life. But boy, it sure did. Boy, it sure did mess his life up, though. What happened after that? It said that the sword would never depart from his family. And you know what? It didn't. You read about David's family life after that, and boy, it was a mess. He paid, he, uh, it's like I said this morning, you're free to make your own choices, but you're not free from the consequences of those choices. And David may have been a saved man. He may have been a man after God's own heart. And he, may, and, and he even found forgiveness. But he still paid those consequences. And we ought to remember that tonight. And so Psalm chapter 119, verse 165 says this, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I'm going back again that sin will keep you from having joy as a Christian. But in Psalm 119, 165, that great love that the psalmist had for the law brought real benefits to his life and it brought him great peace in his life. It brought him stability in his life. He wasn't offended. And all this brought him great joy. I want you to notice this. The voice wrote this. He said, This verse does not promise peace to those who perfectly keep God's law. For who can keep God's law? Nobody can. It promises peace to those who love God's law. Let me read it again. Great peace have they which love thy law. 
You want to know how to have joy in your life? I'm getting back into last week's message. Love the word of God. Obey it. Cherish it. Mm. We can't keep the law. But you want joy in your life? You ought to love his word. My pastor gave me a Bible when I surrendered to preach and he gave me another one when I uh, was ordained into the ministry. And in both of them, he wrote a great quote from D.L. Moody. He, he wrote it in the very front page of, of both of those Bibles. And it says this, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And that's the truth tonight. That's the truth. You want joy? And love the Word of God. Love the Word of God. But we do find that sin, if you don't watch out, sin will steal your joy, but also sin will keep you from having a full life. Yeah, 1 John 5, 16. Here's a, here's a verse that is greatly contested and source of controversy and questioning and all this stuff. It says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. And you know, there's, there's been people all throughout, I mean, I'm, I'm just being real with you, there's, the question has been for years, oh, what is that sin unto death? I'm so scared, have I committed that sin unto death? What is that sin unto death? Well, if you're worried about it, you probably ain't committed it. Blasphemy. Rejection of God. I mean, you think about it. What sends a man to hell? Rejection. What's that unpardonable sin? Well, only sin I know that will send you to hell is rejection. Rejecting of Jesus. But now this, in the context, I'm going to give you what I think it is. And it can be many things. Think about Ananias and Sapphira. Over in Acts chapter number five, we're not going to we're not going to go over there and read all of it for the sake of time. But let me give you the Cliff Notes version of what happened there in Acts chapter five. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they were a Christian couple who lived over in Jerusalem in the early church. They sold a piece of property and brought the proceeds to the apostles, intending to give it to the church. However, this is after they made much ado about it and told that they were. Going to give all this money to the church. But the problem was, when it came down for the rubber to meet the road, they kept back part of the money for themselves. And then lied to Peter about it. More importantly than lying to Peter about it, they lied to the Holy Ghost about it. That's what the Bible says. They lied to the Holy Ghost. Peter, through the Holy Spirit, knew that they had lied and he called them out on it. And Ananias immediately fell down dead. And Sapphira died, and a few hours later when she came to the apostles and repeated the lie that just killed her husband. Yeah. I believe this with all of my heart, y'all. Sin will, it can, and it will send you to an early grave. I believe it can. I believe it does. And I'm talking to the Christian here. 1 John is written to the Christian. It's written to the believer. Several times he addresses, uh, I mean, uh, the way that he, he addresses uh, the audience here, he's writing to believers. 
And let me tell you something. We serve the same God that existed back then. He's not changed. He cannot change. I believe you better watch out how you live your life as a Christian. And I'm just being honest with you. The reason why I believe so many people in churches today can get by with what they do is because they've never been truly saved. Oh, preacher, why in the world do you say that? Well, I believe if many did what they do and they were truly saved, God would send them to an early grave for disgracing His name. Oh, preacher, I just I don't know if I agree with That's fine. You don't have to agree with me. But He sent Ananias and Sapphira to an early grave for lying to the Holy Ghost. I believe He'd still do it today. He's a holy God. The Bible's clear, we reap what we sow. So, I'm not trying to be ugly with that. I'm just, I'm just, I believe that because the Bible backs it up. And you think about it on the opposite spectrum of that. Uh, the, reason I, the reason I believe that a lot of people even in churches can go on living like they do and not go to an early grave is because they're not saved. And the reason they are still alive is because our merciful God is still op- uh, standing with, the, with His arms open and the door of salvation open waiting for them to get saved. Because it's His will that none should perish, but all should repent. My friend, if you're born again and you do nothing but disgrace His name, He will not. The Bible tells us He will not be made a mockery. Mm. And I know I've been, I've been talking to Christians tonight because of the context of First John two one. But listen, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the obvious one about sin. Sin will keep you from heaven if you're not born again. Yeah. Sin will keep you from heaven if you're not born again. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. In Revelation 21, 27, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you're not saved today, get saved while you have a chance. Because when it all comes down to it, if your name is not in the book of life, you will not get into heaven. And sin will keep you out of heaven. Revelation 21.8 tells us the fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Sin will keep you from heaven. It will keep you from heaven. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's a serious matter. Sin is a serious matter in the case of the unbeliever and it's a serious matter in the case of the believer. You can't be a success for God while you're living with sin in your life. Let me tell you, when I got saved... 
I picked my side. See, here's the thing. We've got people teaching and preaching today that, hey, if you'll get saved, everything will be perfect. But it's not. You know what being saved is? It's war. It's war. The difference is I'm fighting for another team now. See, the Bible tells us before salvation, we were enemies of God. And guess what? Now that I am saved, I'm an enemy of the world. I'd much rather be fighting the world than fighting God, wouldn't you? Hey, we might as well be real about it. Not everything is easy in the Christian life. It's not always a bed of roses. As a matter of fact, it is a struggle. We can tell that from Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8. But honey, just think of the payoff at the end. That's what we ought to keep our eyes on. That's how Paul was able to do what he did. He pressed toward the call for the prize. He kept pressing forward. He forgot those things which were in the past. Those things that he had... I mean, you think about Paul. And what he could have carried on his shoulder being the Christian terminator of Rome. Being single, I mean, just, just I mean, he was, he was approving under the, the martyrdom of the very first martyr, Stephen. And, and, and I mean, he was consenting under his death. And you think about all the Christian families that he killed or had put in prison. And yet God, uh, God, uh, <laughs> boy, he met God and he was changed, wasn't he? And by the way, I believe that's still how it works. I believe that's still how it works. I love that illustration. Y'all have heard it before. You've probably heard me say it two or three times. But listen to me. I mean, I, I love that preacher that said, that said uh, um, if, if I walked in tonight and I was late, and I looked like this, and I looked at you and said, I'm sorry, I'm late. I got hit by a 40-ton logging truck a while ago, and it put me behind. You'd look at me, and you'd conclude two different things. Either I am a madman, or I'm just plain lying to you. He said, so which one's bigger, a 40-ton logging truck or the almighty God of this universe? I still believe that when God gets a hold of somebody, they change. The Bible tells us that, that uh, a man, uh, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I believe He changes our desires. I believe He changes our uh, everything about us. He'll change your talk. He'll change your walk. He'll change your thoughts. And hallelujah for it. Sin is a serious matter though. It's a serious matter. It separates us from God and the consequences uh, it has are, are both in this life and the next. But I'm thankful tonight there's good news. For that lost sinner, Jesus Christ came to earth to die for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven and we could have eternal life. For the believer, hey, you may have messed up this week. You may have messed up today. You may be toting around something. You may be carrying around some kind of guilt, something you've done, something you've tried to cover. Hey, listen, the good news for you tonight is you have an advocate with the Father. And what you need to do is get on this altar and confess those sins. If you're lost tonight, you ought to come get saved. If you're a wayward Christian and you're battling sin in your life, you ought to come confess it. Make things right with God and get back in fellowship. Let's stand and bow our heads, close our eyes tonight.
Miss Dawn, you come play for us softly. 